Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I hope that you are doing well today. Thank you for listening in to our weekly radio broadcast, and always know that you are welcome to join us at 1401 Leeville Pike, where we gather every Sunday and Wednesday evening, and you're always welcome to attend at College Hills. If you want to get to know our church a little bit better, you can also check us out online at collegehills.org, or you can find out our latest on on-campus gatherings, the offerings that we have on Wednesday nights, as well as our online gatherings. You can live stream our services on Sunday mornings, during service, and even after the service has been held. Just trying to create a lot of different connections and opportunities for you in this season. Always know you can reach out if you have any questions or would like to talk further. You can always reach out, and we would love to get to know you a little bit better. Today we're going to be looking at a passage in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And I'm going to read it twice in two different translations just to give us a little bit of variety in how we hear this passage. So, first in the NRSV and then the second time in the NIV. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey His commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive human testimony, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has testified to his Son. Those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony in their hearts. Those who do not believe in God have made him a liar by not believing in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And this is the testimony God gave us, eternal life. And this is life in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Same passage from the NIV, 1 John 5, 1-12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. 
For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for these words of Scripture that continue to give us life and to help us move deeper into eternal life with your Son. I pray this morning you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and be transformed by it more into the image of your Son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I can't help but think about the Olympics in light of the year that we're in. This year has been the Olympics in Tokyo, for those who are paying attention and who paid attention and who tuned in and watched those this year. And I always love watching the Olympics for a lot of reasons. One, I am always surprised by the sports that are a part of the Olympics that I never knew would actually constitute as an Olympic sport. In July of this year, there was a list of odd Olympic sports that have been hosted at the Olympics throughout its history. Events such as solo synchronized swimming. (laughs) Solo synchronized swimming. That sounds like it would be uh, an interesting sport. Horse long jump and horse high jump, which just sounds like hoofs of fun. Plunging for distance. The 3,000 meter steeplechase. Live pigeon shooting, which I love. The 1900 Olympics, if you're keeping score at home. The modern pentathlon. Pistol dueling. The 200-meter swimming obstacle race. Walking, which is always an interesting Olympic sport to watch. And then last but not least, poodle clipping. Yes, In 1900 Paris, there was an an event, a sport, I hesitate to call it a sport, called poodle clipping. To quote the article that I was reading, this was admittedly only a test event, meaning it didn't have full Olympic status. They were just trying it out for the following games. Uh, Mystifyingly, it didn't make the cut. It involved 128 competitors performing in front of a crowd of 6,000 in a park in Paris where they had to clip the fur of as many poodles as they could in two hours. So I can attest that that will be a sport I personally will never participate in. Ten Olympic sports that surprised you probably. Surprised me reading some of those. Poodle clipping was a a great one. (laughs) to say the least, to end with. But 
there's also those Olympic sports that we traditionally consider, yes, this is an Olympic sport. We think about track and field. We think about weightlifting. We think about soccer and basketball, events that have solidified in our heads and our hearts as Olympic sports. And it's the track and field events that I think are just some of the most fun for me to watch, maybe because they have the deepest history with the Olympic sport that within the history of the Olympics, these have gone back to the very beginning. And I just love watching the athletes perform at the highest level that these athletes seemingly go into another world. They go in the zone, as we sometimes will say, when they are competing in their respective event. They show us what can happen when a person or a team focuses so passionately on trying to become a world-class Olympic athlete. Now, if you were to talk to these Olympians, you would find a certain kind of person who deep in their bones believed they are an athlete. There would be no question in their mind that you could give them a lot of descriptions, you could say a lot of things about them, but at the end of the day, the identity of athlete is one that is not debatable. It is so deep in their hearts about who they are that they can train and focus their identity into becoming the greatest possible athlete that they could ever be. Now, the reason I want to have us thinking about Olympics and sports and athletes is because there is this parallel that the writers of Scripture often allude to when talking about the Christian life. That the Christian life is thought of as a race, a race in which we compete. And in that time and place, the idea of racing and sports and competition would have been well known within those historical and cultural contexts. And so these writers of Scripture could easily pull on this imagery because Christians in that time and day would be very familiar with things like track and field events, running races, committing oneself to a goal to become a certain kind of person. And for these writers of Scripture, time and time again, they were calling Christians to become certain kinds of people. That because of their identity as children of God, they were called to develop more and more and more into that identity as a child of God. And it's that imagery that John uses in our passage today that's so important for us to pay attention to, that John gives to the church then and the church now a a definition, so to speak, of a child of God. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That for John, 
the men and women who believe that Jesus is the Christ born of God were children of God, that that belief stood at the core of their identity. And because of that identity, that they would live their lives in a certain way, a certain loving way of obedience, that the love of God, the love for God, would manifest itself into what John says, keeping his commandments. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And then in verse 3, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And then I want us to pay attention to what he says in the very next part of that verse. And his commandments are not burdensome. Verse 3 is one of those verses that calls me, caused me over the last week of study to kind of turn my head in a direction that it doesn't often turn because John says something that may at first trip us up a little bit. In fact, this is the love for God to keep his commands and his commandments are not burdensome. John presents this claim about obedience to God's commands that may not be exactly what we hear often. That often when we think about the Christian life, we can sometimes think of it as a burden. People in churches and people in the world can look at the Christian faith and think of it as this onerous series of tasks, this burdensome series of to-dos that never seem to end. And when you talk to some people about Christianity, sometimes Christians and sometimes people who aren't Christians, there's almost this tiredness in their voice talking about simple obedience to God as a burdensome thing. And yet John has a different perspective. For John, keeping God's commandments is not a burdensome activity. Because, and John keeps teaching, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John, in verse 3, 4, and 5, presents the commandments of God as not heavy, not difficult, not a burden. Because, and this is key, the power of new birth is present within the church as they seek to obey His commandments. Why can John say that the commandments of God aren't burdensome? Because the power of new birth is present within them as they seek to obey God's commandments. Believers are these individuals who have this new identity, this new identity as children of God. And part of what it means to be a child of God is to have the Spirit of God within us. 
But the new birth that we experience at baptism is this moment where we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is within us, empowering us, equipping us, and transforming us more into the image of God, to become more like the children of God that God desires for us to be. This is this important claim of John, not just that we would be certain kinds of people and be the kinds of people who follow the commands of God because we don't think they're burdensome, but the why behind the what for John is because we have a different identity. We have the power of new birth. It is present within us. The spirit that was is within us is something that we rely upon. John uses a word here, this word victory, which, speaking of athletics, is this Greek word Nike. Maybe you've heard of it before in conversations about athletics. And the word victory comes from the same root word as overcome. John says this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And the notion that he's communicating here with the use of these words with the same root word emphasizes the means for winning a victory. Or in the case of what John is saying here, that our faith is the power that causes us to defeat evil. That our faith in Jesus and our faith that we are children of God filled with the Spirit becomes the means for our winning the victory. Faith for John makes all of the difference. Do we believe that we are children of God? Do we believe that we have the gift of the Spirit? Because by believing that, it becomes this mindset. It becomes this foundation for everything else that we choose to do. In the same way we talked about earlier, that when you talk to those Olympians, not one of them would ever question if they were an athlete or not. Not one of them would ever question that being an athlete was at the core of our identity, a core of their identity. It makes all the difference for the practices and the pursuits and the priorities of their life. And so it should be with Christians that we have this confidence in our identity as children of God, as being born of God. And because of that, we have the Spirit of God. And with that foundational faith commitment, we have certain practices and priorities that we implement into our lives. And as we practice them over and over and over, we learn the ways of Jesus. As we prioritize them over and over and over, we become the kinds of people who look more and more like Jesus. Over time, we learn that the commands of God are not burdensome because we learn and become more like the children of God 
that God has called us to be. We are able to overcome because the one who overcame is present within us. That's this really subtle thing that happens in these verses that's easy to miss. The the word overcome is presented in two tenses. In verse 4a, the first half of verse 4, and in verse 5, the word overcome is active. It is present for everyone born of God overcomes the world. In verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. But it's also a word that gets used in the past tense. Verse 4, second half, 4b. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. It's really significant to pay attention to both tenses of that word. That John very much has a present tense understanding of overcoming. That we actively, presently, continuously overcome the world. Because the victory has overcome the world. The present tense overcoming is only possible because of the past tense overcoming. The victory was won by Jesus on the cross, and now we continually realize that victory in how we live. In other words, we have faith that the victory was won, and now we live our lives with that trust that it happened then, and we continue to allow it to happen in the lives that we live. Our faith is this act of trusting and accepting God's testimony. Faith as an activity and as an object. We have faith that Jesus is the Son of God. We have faith The victory happened on the cross with the death, burial, and resurrection. What John's going to allude to in the very next verse, by water and blood, Jesus accomplished the victory. And Jesus also gives us his spirit, his spirit who dwells within us and allows us to be certain kinds of people in the world. Because of the water and blood on the cross, when water spilt from Jesus' side, the blood shed on the cross, because of that moment, victory occurred. Victory happened. The once and all defeat of evil occurred. And as people who have faith in that victory, we continue to live it out Every single day. And I intentionally use the phrase every single day because I think when it comes to our Christian belief, when it comes to our Christian faith, we we have to have that mindset of an athlete. We have to have the mindset of a person who is aiming for a particular goal, who wants to be a certain kind of person in the world. 
that every day we remind ourselves, we re-engage ourselves into that core fundamental faith that the victory has been won and now let's live into that victory. That the ongoing presence of God in the person of the Spirit of God is with us. That we are baptized by water into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We come out as these new, vibrant creatures with this new, amazing identity. And therefore, we live a certain way in the world. I was recently having lunch with a friend, and we were talking about parenting and fatherhood and managing all of the stuff that's on our plate right now. And he said something to me that I've heard before, but I needed to remember it again. He has a few more kids than I do, and so he's had to wrestle with this a bit more frequently than I have. But he he looked at me and he said, Wilson, you make time for what's important. You make time for what is important. And he was talking about his own life and decisions that he had to make as a, as a parent, as a husband, as a person who works on a day-to-day basis. But he was also making that statement as a believer because this person is a, a deeply committed follower of Jesus. And he was talking also about some of the things that as a follower of Jesus, he himself was trying to prioritize, trying to make time for, make room for. And he had to do that each and every day over and over again. Because it's easy to get distracted in our life, and it's especially easy to get distracted in our Christian life. It's easy to get flooded with more and more to-dos and we lose our way sometimes and lose our way from the way of Jesus. And so we get tired and we get overwhelmed and we get our priorities out of order and that eventually catches up to us. And so it's important for us to remember to regroup, so to speak, to remember what is most true about us. It's a thing that Jesus has been inviting his disciples to since his time of ministry. Because Jesus speaks to this notion of burden in one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in all of the Gospels, this great invitation, as it's sometimes called, where Jesus uses some words that John uses as well, these words about burdens. And Jesus, in this moment in Matthew chapter 13, had this large group huddled around him, men and women, some who were following and some who were just listening in. And it was to all of them that he extends this amazing invitation that I think 
John has in his mind as he's writing this letter, and it's an invitation that I think we need to have in our mind as we regroup and remember what is most important and what is most true about us. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That as followers of Jesus, we attach ourselves. We connect ourselves with the person of Jesus. And over time, we learn, as one translation puts it, the unforced rhythms of grace. And we do this day in and day out. We do this over and over with Jesus by our side, with the Spirit of God within us. And we can learn the truth, not just of what John reminds us of, that the commandments of God are not burdensome because the Spirit of God is living in you, but also the promise of Jesus that this path is possible because he walks beside us. So I don't know where you are this week, but I want you to remember this truth, this foundational truth, and have faith in that, that you are a child of God with the Spirit of God, and Jesus walks with us each step of the way. Amen.